So about six months ago, uh, our family, the Ross family, we re relocated to East Memphis after being in Binghampton for about 12 years. We love our new neighborhood. We just needed kind of a change of pace in our lives. We miss Binghampton. It was 12 years it formed and shaped us and taught us so much about God, and we're grateful for all the neighbors that we made there. About a year ago on a Saturday night, um, I had just taken some melatonin around 9.30. Most Saturday nights I do. I usually sleep. I, Saturday nights I never get a good night's rest. And I consider it a gift from God. Like I'm restless. I'm not just thinking through content of a sermon. I'm thinking through the people who are going to hear the content. And, and it's just a restless night for me. I'm usually awake uh, multiple times throughout the night just praying and reflecting. And so sometimes I, I pop in a little melatonin and try to help me out on a Saturday night. So I just take a melatonin, and then I heard what sounded like a little commotion out in the front yard. And I, and I looked, and on the sidewalk, not too far from where I was looking out the window, I saw a man and a woman, and, and it looked like they were hugging, but I couldn't really tell. Because she was, I couldn't tell if she was trying to get loose or if she was intoxicated or if she was sick. I didn't know. So I started walking back into the living room and then I thought something just doesn't feel right. And I went back and I looked outside and now they're on the ground. He's hitting her, she's hitting him. Now I've found myself a few times in my life in the middle of domestic abuse situations. Uh, not that I'm the one causing it, I'm just, it's happening and I found myself, find myself in the middle of it. And this is, uh, it's always horrifying because people in domestic abuse situations, they're not thinking straight, it's dangerous. Like growing up, I, like I never cared. I would always break up guy fights in our school. There's not a chance I would try to break up a girl fight ever because they don't play by rules, right? So I, I saw this, so I went outside and I took off running to try to go and get, his, try to get this guy off the girl. And as I did, another car pulled up next to them, rolled down their window and began shouting for him to stop. And at that point he looked up at those of us who were drawn near to the situation, he said, if anyone comes closer, in a few choice words, if anyone comes closer, I, I, I have a weapon and I will kill you. So now I have a choice to make. When do you choose to go ahead and try to be the hero and not that you're even in this moment thinking, I've gotta be heroic, that you're stepping in to help somebody who is a victim while my wife and kids are inside of a house so I went back in, I called 911, I told Casey and the boys to go ahead and get to the back of the house. I called 911, I asked for them to dispatch the police. And at this point I heard a window break. And I went back outside and now the guy had gotten in his car to drive away. She reached in the car, got a bat, and now she's knocking the windows out of the car. So I called 911 again and, and, and just make a plea that we need the police as soon as possible. And in that moment, she took off running and he got out of the car and he took off running after her. And they ended up about 60 yards from me in the middle of the street. And when you're 60 yards from somebody, from probably me to where maybe the youth group is sitting today, they were that far away when he took the bat and just started wearing her out. I'm not as fast as I used to be back in high school. But in eight and nine seconds, a guy can get a lot of swings in with a bat. By the time me and a couple people got there, he ran off, and we stood over what we thought was a lifeless body. Knots all over her head. She came to. Police showed up quick. 
And when given the chance to press charges, she refused. She said this was the guy who loved her. I went in that night and had to try to find a way to sleep. I had to get up and preach here on that Sunday morning. And I've had a few moments in my life I've had to process trauma. And one thing as a preacher and leader is I, I refuse to compare trauma. I, I mean, one way is like the trauma I experienced that night is not quite like what the woman experienced who took bats to the head. But I don't compare trauma. So what's happened in moments in my life when I've been called into places where there's either been suicide or deaths or gang violence or domestic abuse situations is I have to find myself going back into some place to be reminded of the bigger story I am a part of. I can't just sweep trauma under the rug. So as I went and processed this event with a therapist who's helping me process some of this, what, why it is so important to me to try to process trauma is I want to live from a place of hope and love and joy because when I find myself in situations where some of you have found yourself in the middle of these situations, like I, I, I can't respond from a place that I'm not cultivating within myself. So I went to a therapist and what she encouraged me to do is just think back on the foundation of my life, ask questions about who, who is it that I believe God is in my life. And this has been one of the help, most helpful things whenever I ex have experienced any form of trauma in my life, is just to sit back and reflect, why do I believe the things I believe? I don't want my heart to grow hard. So that when I'm faced with situations like that, that I, I stay away and I don't run into. So I'm gonna take you all the way back to when I was 17 years old, when Philippians 3 became one of the most pivotal chapters in the Bible for me. And I just wanna stay on this screen right here for just a moment in verse seven and eight. Because when I think back of a time when like God and I just clicked, when I was baptized at the age of 10, I knew all my life, I had been in church, my dad was my preacher, if I died I wanted to go to heaven. It wasn't until the age of 17 that discipleship became serious for me. That I began to understand Jesus was more than a savior in my life, Jesus wanted to be the Lord of my life. And in verse seven and eight in Philippians three, it says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I wanna stay right there just for a moment because look, right now, <laughs> I don't wanna sound like Uncle Rico. Better than white preachers do. It's an art. There's an art to it, all right? 
God gave these verses to me in a pivotal time of my life. When God was teaching me through the rest of high school that any platform you have is an opportunity to bring glory to God, not glory to yourself. And I needed this, that the rest of my life, how do I live? Whatever opportunity I have in front of people, whatever promotion may come my way, whatever job, whatever race, whatever it may be, how do I, live, how do I take this and live for the glory of God, not for the glory of myself? What comes right after this is this, what became an anthem for my life, especially, especially early on, if you go to that next verse right here, that I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I was 17 years old when I first got on my knees before the Lord and cried out for intimacy with God. I mean, literally on my knees in a room, begging God for a deeper relationship. Because I knew at the age of 17 that I wanted something beyond surface-level knowledge. I had a longing to meet God in secret places. I came to learn at the age of 17, God does not play hide-and-seek with us. God desires to share His goodness, and God desires to share His presence. Yet it takes space and committed space to give God a chance to reveal all he wants to reveal. And I knew at that point in my life, I had come to a place in my life in which I wanted to let go of distractions and to prioritize God. And I wanted a genuine, authentic encounter and relationship and that I was going to beg God for it. I knew God was extending an invitation to me to draw near and to seek his face. And that when God extends invitations, God wants a response. I knew I wanted God to stir a hunger in me. And I knew I wanted my life with God to matter, not just for my eternal status, but for others. I, des I desired impact. I desired for God to impact my life. And in response, I wanted to be used by God to impact other people's lives. Have you been there before? in a place of begging God for something deeper, something greater, to be used by God in our lives for his glory. And at that time, there was a song that was released by a group named Sonic Flood. Show of hands, how many of you remember who Sonic Flood was? It's going way back in the day. And Sonic Flood had just released a song called In the Secret. And here's how the song started, if you go to this next slide. In the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness, you are there. In the secret, in the quiet hour, I wait only for you because I want to know you more. And go ahead and go to that, that next slide, because we'll stay here for just a moment. This was the chorus of that song. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. I could not tell you another song that Sonic Flood did, but I knew this one. And they're probably millionaires to this day because of this song. It became an anthem, anthem of mine. I would pray it, recite it, sing it. On May of my senior year of high school, uh, on May 2nd, the beginning of May, we went to Sunday night church. Now, this is back in the days before social media. I mean, the internet was kind of around, but, the, you know, news spread in different ways then. And we went to Sunday night church in the youth group. We would always hang out after church on Sunday nights. We would have devotionals. And as we sat down for that devotional, the youth minister sat us down and he said, hey, uh, we have something to pray for tonight. There's a youth group, and they were on a youth retreat in New Mexico. And on the way back this morning from their retreat, there was a bus wreck, and six girls in that youth group died. 
And we kind of process as a youth group that night, like we process, like what would it be like if, if in our youth group this happened? We just, we couldn't imagine the trauma and the loss and what we would felt like. So we committed to on that Wednesday night, we were gonna come together and we were gonna write cards and we were gonna prepare presents and we were gonna make poster boards and then we were gonna mail them to this church just to let them know that we love them and we're thinking about them and we are, we are praying for them. We could not imagine the trauma. Three months later, I met a young woman who was on that trip where there was a bus wreck where six girls died. And three years later, I married that woman. Casey became my wife. And I don't understand sometimes how God works, but Casey's spot that she would sit on all those trips was a place that she didn't sit on the way back. And it was one of the spots where a girl died on that trip. In two days, Casey attended six funerals. When they went into that retreat that weekend, the song they sung is a song you see on the screen. This was their anthem for that weekend. It was, I want to know you, I want to know you more. I want to know you, I want to see your face. It was a theme of their retreat. They were singing this song on the bus, on the way home, when the wreck happened. And it's a song that they would recite at every single one of those funerals. For Casey, it was a song that became a cry of her heart. The first couple of years when we were dating, anytime the song was sung in a worship experience, she would often have to leave the room. It just, it triggered too much emotion for her. Yet it became a cry of her heart, and it's a song that helped some of those kids who experienced that trauma to press forward with God in life. And what I want you to think about today is the foundation in your life and why you believe the things you, leave, you, you believe. And especially for teenagers and young people, I want to press them as hard as I can to think hard about your foundation now. Because if we wait until a storm hits in our lives and then we try to build a foundation, good luck trying to build a foundation when you're in the middle of a storm. I don't want to put it past God. But like, we need to be taken seriously right now. What is it I believe about eternity? And what is it I believe about God? So that when the storms of life hit, I have a foundation that can sustain me and a foundation that I can fall back on. If you go to this next slide, when I first started spending time in Philippians 3 at the age of 17, I didn't like the order of verse 10 and 11 that it goes from resurrection to participation in suffering to becoming like him in his death and then attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The order I would like for it to be is we die with Christ, right? We die with Christ, then we experience resurrection, and then the hand of God protects us from suffering for the rest of our lives. That's the order I would like. But the order we have is you experience the power of the resurrection. And it's the belief and power in the resurrection that prepares us to sacrifice and to suffer for the sake of the world. Believing that in the end, God is going to bring things to life. So when you come to believe in the power of the resurrection, it prepares us for all of life. A foundation we stand on, a foundation we fall back on. When my sister died back in 2010, I went through a year-long journey of journaling. Still preaching here every Sunday, yet journaling in my own quiet time with God, reflecting on God, sometimes having it out with God. I felt like the Lord just said, hey, my grace can hold you through whatever emotion you want to write about. And 
And there were days that in my journal, I would just, I would, I would let God have it. And you have a, if you have a problem with that, I would just encourage you to go read the Psalms, read the Psalms. And God, God's in his grace is able to hold us through any emotion we feel. And what was so important for me, and that ended up becoming my first book called Scarred Faith, what was so important for me is that there was one letter that ended up making it into the book. And one letter that I wrote to God, that at the very end, it was me just telling God, like, God, as I've been on this year-long journey questioning so many things about you and how prayer works, what is it I want to build my life on and what is it I want to give my kids? And there were three things that came to, to, to my mind, and here, here they are. They came, and, and I believe God gave these to me. But one was that God is love. And I believe the love of God drives God more than anything else. I believe the love of God drives God more than the glory of God. I believe more than God wanting to receive glory, I think God wants to, to dispense and be known as a God of love. The second is that God enters into chaos. That in and through Jesus, we see this, he chooses to enter into chaos. And when God steps into a mess or when God steps into a pit, sometimes God is there just to be present with us to help us walk through the valleys in life. And the last one is just resurrection, that there is nothing that God cannot bring to life. And what goes back to the age of 17 for me is this next slide. And this is a daily part of my prayer life, and it has been for a couple of decades now. That almost every day I pray some form of a prayer, and it is a prayer that recenters me. It is a prayer that has become a foundation for me. It's a prayer I fall back on. It's a prayer that drives me in my life and ministry. And it's just me reminding myself, not that God needs me to remind God, but that God created and God still creates. God delivered and God still delivers. God has and will always be a God of steadfast love, of covenant love. And last but not least, God is a God who draws near. I bank my life on these four things. And when I came here about 15 and a half years ago, this was the very first sermon series I did. It was just the character and nature of God. It was these four things right here. And today I'm going to walk off this stage. I need to go to my office and do a couple more things today. And then I'm going to go on sabbatical for four weeks. So I will not see you till after Thanksgiving. But if you'll leave those things up there, Renee, just one more time, if you'll go back to those four things. Over the next four weeks, we're going to have a series called Known. And these are the four things you're going to hear a few of our ministers preach about. And we've been working on this since the month of August. And, and you're going to hear from the ministers in this church, other than Kip. I mean, Kip is going to, you see his face every week. You may hear a couple of comments from Kip, but the other ministers, you're going you're to hear from them. Because we didn't just hire Tyler and Annika to go just hang out in the impact or Anna to go only hang out in the children's ministry wing. We've, we, we invite them to be voices that are shaping who we are in the life of the church. And these are anointed ministers of God, and you need to hear from them. You're going to hear from Tyler and Annika. You're going to hear from Jim Hinkle. You're going to hear our apprentice, Josh Nix. You're going to hear from Anna over the next few weeks. And you're going to hear them process these things right here, how God is this great creator who is still creating, a God who has always delivered and he's still delivering, a God of steadfast love and a God who keeps drawing near. And if you want to go to that, just that, the next image, uh, Renee, it's a series called Known, of just knowing God and being known by God. And I want to give you a few things to pray over me over the next few weeks. There are four slides, and here are my sabbatical commitments. And would love for you to either take a picture of them or pray, pray them over me in the days, uh, in the days to come. 
Here's just a few of my commitments. I'm going to read the Gospels, all four Gospels, 89 chapters. And look, I'm not being braggy about this, but if you were to ask me any chapter in the Gospels, I could tell you the content that is in them. I've read the Gospels hundreds of times in my life, but I don't just need the Gospels in my head. I need them in my heart. I'm going to honor a day. I have spiritual practices every day, but once a week, I'm going to spend a little extra time in silence before God. And I've told you before, I have two fierce concerns when it comes to just silence, whether it's you or me. I have two fears and concerns. One is, what if nothing happens? Will I keep coming back? But my other fear is, in silence, what if something does happen? Am am I going to let God have his way with me? I'm committing to journaling, just a place to express gratitude, confession, and longings in my heart, fasting once a week. A few other commitments. I'm reflecting on my first 20 years. It's crazy. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I need to do some deep reflection on this. I'm, there are a couple of books that are my top five favorite books of all time. I'm going to re- reread them over the next few weeks. I'm going to disconnect from most social media outlets. There's one I need just to keep up with some sports and football stuff, like things that are important to me. All right. Uh, but I'm disconnecting from most of them. Uh, you're not going to be able to find me on work email. My cell phone's probably not going to work very well. I need to connect with a couple of mentors over the next few weeks to help me process life. I'll work out regularly. I'll pay attention to diet. And I say that because when you're in your house seeking the heart of God and your wife and your kids aren't there, it's super easy to snack your way through every day. So I'll pay attention to it. I got daily walks every day with my dog and with Casey that brings so much life to me. And I will eat wings with my boys at least once a week. I know that's not part of the diet, but it is a part of our spiritual commitment to each other. And pray for me because my two boys, gone are the days when they would eat like five wings each. Like it's, I'm raising two teenage boys, and, but this is a, a fun way for us to connect. I need God to revive a couple of things in my life. I'm asking God over the next few weeks to revive a deep love for people disconnected from Jesus and to help revive and reclaim a love for the 901. Casey and I came to Memphis as young people. In fact, if you'll show that picture, this is the picture that was shown when we took the job here 15 and a half years ago. Noah, you weren't around yet. No picture of you, man. We came from Texas to Tennessee, and when Noah was born a year later, we joke around like we, we literally, we, we had Texans who sent Texas soil in the mail to us asking us to put it on the, the, the delivery room floor of Baptist East so our child could be born on Texas soil, right? <laughs> Texans, they're crazy, all right? They're crazy people. And we didn't do it, but people were serious about it. And I think that in my mind, when we came here, we knew we weren't coming here. We're like, hey, we're just gonna go here for three years or five years. We knew we would be here for a while. But I think in my mind, I always thought that especially like raising kids, there would be some point that we would relocate back to Texas just to have our kids, at least for a few years, closer to parents or grandparents or cousins. And when my mother was diagnosed with her third bout of cancer and when Casey's mom at the same time was diagnosed with breast cancer, right around that time, multiple churches from Texas reached out about their preaching positions. Some of them were really clever. They were good. They would call and they'd be like, hey, you know, just want you to know our church is 287 miles from where your parents live. Like, they did the research. Like, we're going to sell them on grandparent and then try to talk to them about a preaching position. But there was just no interest in us even having conversations with people. This is our home. This is our church. This is not just a job for me. This is where Casey and I want to raise our kids. 
our two boys have been in a children's ministry with Elizabeth Patterson, Danielle Lair, and Anna Moser. They know Jesus so well because of them. And we have them in a youth ministry with Tyler and Annika, who are doing such an amazing job. Like, we, we love where we get to raise our kids. In 15 and a half years, there are a lot of things I'm so grateful for about what God has done in and through the life of this church, not just through my ministry. And there are times I think I probably press too hard on things, and sometimes I probably haven't pressed hard enough on things. The first 10 years or so here, I didn't talk enough. I didn't preach enough about the cross of Christ. And I didn't preach enough about sin, and I'm trying to reclaim some of these things in my life. But I know this, Jesus has captured my heart and Jesus has captured my imagination. And I don't just want to pursue Jesus for me. I want to pursue Jesus with you for the sake of Memphis and for the sake of the world. My wife's in the nursery today, but I cannot thank Casey enough for being my greatest support and my greatest fan. Uh, it's great to know when you're in a place, no matter what you say, there's going to be somebody who loves you when you leave. And Casey has given me permission to lie to her about two things in life. One, anytime I travel and we talk at night and she says, what did you eat for dinner? I am allowed to lie. <laughs> because about 14 years ago, I had just eaten Ruth's crisp for the first time when I was uh, away speaking. And that night I thought that she would take seriously like places in the Bible where it says rejoice with those who rejoice. But she was at home with a three and a one-year-old and she ate applesauce for dinner. And not only did I brag about the steak, I took a picture of the steak and sent it to her. <clears throat> so she says, from now on, you can just answer with Burger King and I will, I, will, I will not follow up on that at all. The other time I have permission to lie is any time I do receive it, which is rare in the life of this church, but criticism. Because my wife will fight you if you come after me, all right? <laughs> She may not punch you in the face, but she would put you in a headlock. Like, she, she is my greatest supporter, my greatest fan. And for Truett and Noah, I know you're both in here today. I know Sunday, sometimes I have the Sunday blues when I come home, and I may not be the most fun to be around, and I'm working on that. But you have made my life as a dad and as a preacher so much fun. And thank you for the joy you bring to me. And Noah is always like, Dad, please don't cry, okay? It embarrasses me in sermons. I'm, I'm good, all right? I'll tell you this, over the next four weeks, what I'm going to miss most with you is, is a moment at communion. It's the most important meal we take every week. And this is a moment that in Luke chapter 24, Jesus used, that when the bread was broken, eyes were opened. And it's still a meal every week that Jesus uses when bread is broken and when the cup is taken to remind us of who God is. God wants to be known and God knows you. Look, God got me at the age of 17 years old and awakened my eyes and my heart and my mind to pursue God for the rest of my life. And for you, it may be 27 or 37 or 57 or 87. God's not gonna quit coming after you. And God's coming for you. God wants to know you. God wants you to know him. God desires relationship. And if you've had moments in your life where prayers have not been answered and maybe you're, you're thinking about either giving up or just, just kind of holding on in status quo, I, God is not a God of status quo. And to the day you die, God's gonna be inviting you into deeper places and will you respond to God?
So this morning, we want to take the bread and the cup. And uh, Renee, will you go back to Philippians 3, 10 through 11, of just the, the verse of I want to know you. And let's just leave that on the screen for a few moments for reflection. And this morning, if there is a prayer we could pray for you, either in your trauma or prayer we could pray for you to know Jesus in deeper ways, we're going to surround this room with a few people. And Jenna King is going to be over here on my right, Laura Moore to my left. Randy Lillard, one of our shepherds, is going to be up front to receive you. I think Terry Miller is a shepherd in the back today. He'll be here to receive you. I'll be up here to the left. Let's just use this as a few moments for us individually and as a church to connect to God and to each other. Will you bow your heads? Let's close our eyes. And God, especially for those who may be struggling right now, with either believing you exist or that you speak today, I pray in this meal today that you will open up their eyes, their ears, their minds, their hearts to hear something from you. I pray for the moment of reflection we have every time we take the bread and the cup, that we get to reflect on everything you went through to draw us into a relationship with you that will go on forever. And God, I pray this week that you will extend invitations to us to come with you into deeper places. And whether you extend those with a shout or a whisper or a nudge or in a dream, we just ask for you to speak. And may we have ears to hear. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.